Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Take a Shot with Amem Joy Emma. I am your girl, your host, Amem Joy Emma. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I hope that you're well. I hope that all is well with you. I hope that you are experiencing so much love, so much joy, so much peace, so much hope, all the good things. I hope that you're experiencing that today. If you're not, um, I'm praying and I'm sending that your way right now. Over here in my little neck of the woods, I have been having a good day so far. I actually listen. I'm recording this on a Sunday afternoon and um, it is just mad windy over here like for no reason. I mean like the girl's wig was about to fall off her head and I was like oh no okay. Oh contraire Satan. Not today okay. Because this wig will not fall off my head and embarrass me. No 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 no. Not today. That's the kind of day I've been having but apart from that I've been having a pretty good day. And as always, I hope that you are having a wonderful day as well. And actually, I am really, really excited about today's episode. I'm really excited because I got to talk to a wonderful, incredible person that goes by the name of Ashley Wisdom. Ashley Wisdom is the founder and publisher of healthinherhue.com, a pretty incredible, phenomenal work she's doing over there. So I definitely encourage you to check this out after, check that out after this episode. And I'm sure that you'll want to after the conversation that we had, because we had a pretty cool conversation. We talked about everything from love to therapy to racism in the workplace. I mean, we really get into it. And I, I genuinely believe that there is something in this episode for you. And I mean, I, I literally got my entire life and I'm pretty sure that you will get yours too. So I'm not going to delay this. <laughs> I'm going to let you listen to our conversation. So here's my wonderful conversation with Ashley Wisdom. So first of all, thank you so much for agreeing to come on here. I'm always honored whenever I, you know, get a guest. So thank you so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Honestly, I truthfully, I think what you're doing is phenomenal. But, but before I get into that, I wanted to talk, ask you what you feel like your purpose is. And the reason why I asked that is because of the purpose of this podcast, which is basically to inspire and motivate individuals to pursue purpose by, by taking a step of faith. So um, this is something that I see that you're doing. I see that you are pursuing purpose and it's very, very clear to me and it's pretty incredible. Um, so I wanted to know what you feel like your purpose is. Okay. So I, um, I would summarize it as I believe my purpose is to challenge the status quo everywhere that I go. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's what I summarize it as. I went to a conference, um, a Blavity conference called 20 summit 21. Okay. There was a segment that Brittany Packnett did and it was called honing and amplifying your power message. And she basically guided us through the process of how to articulate what we believe our purpose is in a quick um, what she called a power message, a quick summary statement. And so that was what I crafted because I feel like that really speaks to what I feel like I'm called to do. Wow, that's awesome. Now, what do you believe the status quo is? 
So I think it's just complacency with things that, you know, we just accepted as reality, Um, whether that be racism, sexism, or just, you know, any type of injustice. Um, I think that there can be a tendency of thinking that things are just too big for us to tackle. And I, I don't subscribe to that idea. I believe that if there is something that's wrong and there's something that's not just, that there are ways to address it. And, you know, not everybody feels called to address those things. And people right. just try to figure out ways to, to navigate or move through certain things. And, and I, I feel like I'm called to just, you know, speak truth to power and, right. and to challenge us to not just be content with accepting things as they are if they're not right. Mm. So when did you begin realizing that this is something I want to do? I know everybody isn't called to challenge these injustices, but this is a fire in me. I can't stop it. When did you realize I, this is what I want to do? So I think I realized that this is my purpose after reflecting, um, I guess you can say on the the different versions of me. Okay. (laughs) Just reflecting on Ashley as a child, Ashley as a teenager, um, now as a young adult and just reflecting on the things that seem to be consistent. And I've always been someone who is not afraid to speak her mind if I feel like something doesn't make sense or something mm. right. Mm-hmm. And so in like reflecting on who I have been consistent, consistently, I've noticed that that's something that I've always done, whether right. it be at church, um, mm. whether it be in academia um, or at work, um, in certain instances, I've always kind of been that person. It's like, if this is not right, I don't want anyone to, I don't want to have to experience this again. And I don't mm-hmm. want anyone coming after me to have to experience this again in this space. And so noticing that about myself, I realized that, oh, this is a trait that's like just innate in me. Mm-hmm, this is mm-hmm. who I am. And I just have to accept that that's who I am. And how can I then take that and make it something bigger than me and, and serve others with that? That's awesome. Um, did you have anyone walking you through that process or was it just like, this is an aha moment or, you know, what was it that, that brought it all together for you? I would say there were, there was an, an aha moment, but I would, I would also say that in reflecting on the past and things like that, there have been different people in my life who have confirmed that there was something quote unquote different about me. And I remember distinctly, I had, I was in the eighth grade um, and it was a substitute teacher. There was something that happened in the classroom and everybody like laughed at this person. Um, and I, I'm saying like, I don't remember, but I think I remember because it stuck out to me like a struck a chord. Mm-hmm. And she pulled me out the classroom and was like, you know, you are a leader, like you're a wow. leader. And I've only been in this classroom for a day. I don't know, you know you, but I right. know that there's something special about you and you are able, like people in the class pay attention to what you do and you need to be careful with how you use that. Wow. And that stuck out to me because I remember walking out the classroom and being mad, like everybody was laughing. Like, why would you, why did you pull me out? Right, right. <laughs> she, she identified something in me and she said, no, like everyone laughed, but it, it, it was because of something that you did. And, and wow. I wanted to take this moment to shut to, you know, to bring to your attention that there is something special about you and you need to find a way to channel it in the right way. Um, wow. So there have been different moments like that, that have happened mm. over the course of my life. And as I was reflecting on things and reflecting on things about myself, 
I paid attention to some of those things and I'm like, okay, I'm not about to take that in and let it feed my ego. Right. Um, I'm going to pay attention to some of the feedback that I've received and how do I actually, you know, take that feedback and channel it into something positive and bigger than myself. That's awesome. And I love that that came from a substitute teacher because you were probably in that moment, I have substituted before. And in those moments, you know, you think what you're doing is not significant. Mm-hmm. And I love how it wasn't even your, your general education. It was your substitute teacher that had that kind of impact on you, which mm-hmm. says a lot about purpose and where we find ourselves. But um, I kind of want to dive a little deeper into kind of tying your purpose into and wondering why you decided to then take this idea of purpose that you had and pursue a degree in um, master's in public health. Like what was it about that degree that, that drew you? Um, so I've always been interested in healthcare. My, the backstory to that is that I was pre-med and undergrad realized I don't really want to be a clinician, but still mm. very much interested in, in healthcare and particularly policies. I'm very interested in politics and things like that, like the powers okay. that that establish structures and institutions. And so my first job is what exposed me to this area of public health where I'm like, okay, I can affect change in in the healthcare system that doesn't necessarily have to be one-on-one with the patient. Um, So that, that is why I, you know, I pursued my master's in public health, but then I also have this very creative side to me. Mm. And I've been trying for a while to figure out how do I bring bridge the two? How do I bring this creative side to me, this writer side with this passion for healthcare and challenging um, injustice in, in different spaces and particularly in healthcare? Mm, that's awesome. Now that actually leads me right into your platform, healthinherhue.com, which is a phenomenal and informative platform. I absolutely love it. But can you actually tell us a little bit about what the platform is? So Health in Her You, it's a digital platform, as you said, um, that connects Black women to the healthcare providers, services, and resources that are committed to our health and well-being. Mm -hmm. And right now it exists on the website, healthinherhue.com, as well as um, three social media platforms. So we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and on Facebook. And what I have been doing, or the team, Mm -hmm. not just me at this point, um, what we've been doing is like building a community um, where we can provide informative information to Black women to consider, you know, as they're navigating the healthcare system, certain things that they should pay attention to, and also creating a space for Black women who are providers and just healthcare professionals mm-hmm. to provide information in a way that's culturally engaging and accessible to Black women. That's awesome. So, so that's the essence of healthinherhue.com. That is awesome. Now, I want to talk about what kind of motivated you to start this platform. Um, I specifically like what you say on your your website. You say Black women uh, need healthcare providers who are trained and committed to hearing and understanding their unique experiences. um, And that Health Interview is a space for Black women to be informed and empowered when making choices pertaining to their health. So again, you just said that and I absolutely love it, but I want to know what the trigger was. I want to know if there was a trigger or if it was just, there's this passion, the accumulation of my experiences. What caused you to say, I need to build this platform? Mm -hmm. Well, I've always been very interested in the intersection of like race and gender. That's something I've always been intrigued by because, you know, being a Black 
woman, once a black girl growing up, there's always this sense of feeling othered. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've never, I never had words to articulate that feeling until I came across texts that finally like gave me the words to articulate how I felt and that I wasn't crazy, that there are certain experiences that we have because we're both black and women and a woman. So that has always been something that I've been interested in. I'm constantly reading books on feminism, on, on race, different things like that. But then as I was pursuing my graduate degree, reading these academic papers, I would constantly see that black women feared worse than like white women on many different health indicators. And that was always troublesome to me. I was just like, why, like, why is this the case? And then like learning about the different social factors that we experience and how those things play a role and why we often fare worse on so many different health outcomes and just like mm-hmm. have so many different health issues more compared to other races, um, that struck a chord. And I was like, okay, I feel like a lot of times people speak about the issues that affect black women, but when it comes down to actually doing things doing to yeah. change the status quo, right. um, no one really pays attention to us. Right. We are the ones that always have to like, you know, do things for ourselves. Like even looking at this R. Kelly situation that recently happened, I'm like, it took black women come on for years. Yep. Doing like writing articles, writing mm-hmm. exposés, creating documentaries, and mm-hmm. we just now arrested this man. Just, come on, just now. <laughs> just now. It just speaks to the fact that like if we don't look out for ourselves, no one else is going to. They will talk yes. about They'll say, you know, they'll spit out the numbers, but what are we actually doing to change things? And just knowing that oftentimes black women get overlooked or we kind of just get lumped in with other groups. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to create a space that was specifically for us. And that was very intentional because a lot of times people are just like, they, they overlook us. And I've had people ask, well, you know, women of color fear worse on different health outcomes. And I'm not turning a blind eye to that at all. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to create a space specifically for Black women to make sure that we are aware of the issues that are like in affecting us and the things that we need to be cognizant of as we're navigating the healthcare system. I wanted to create a space that spoke to our specific issues because I know that no one else is going to do it besides us. And so I'm like, if I got to be that person, I'll be that one. Oh my God. That's where that came from. Ah, wow. Thank you so much for what you do. You are so needed. Thank you. So in your bio, you talk, I found this to be really interesting. You talk about experiencing um, frustrations about institutional racism in hospitals and the healthcare system. And honestly, this is something that I, I know unfortunately I know too well and not because I've specifically worked in healthcare but I know someone very close to me mm-hmm. that works in healthcare and growing up we were kind of sheltered so I didn't although I grew up you know in a predominantly white uh, um, neighborhood I we were sheltered racism I knew it happened but I didn't I wasn't aware of it happening to me mm-hmm. um, until, you know, I grew up and then somebody that was really close to me began working in the healthcare system and would come home with stories and stories and stories of just racism. And it was jarring because when this person would come home, I would see how negatively it would affect her. Like it would, mm-hmm. and it's for someone I love to, to be 
that negatively affected. And this was her, her purpose. She felt like she, you know, was pursuing purpose and wanted to be in the medical field and wanting to make an impact, but it so jarred her that she was like, I don't even know if I want to do this mm-hmm. because this is so, so bad. So I want to talk to you uh, about some of your observations, but more importantly, I want you to give some of your advice to black women mm-hmm. in these fields that say, I see the injustice and I want to be a part of making the medical field a safer space for women of color, for black women. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what would your words of wisdom, what would your advice be for uh, women to encourage them to stay motivated, especially when they're drained? I mean, the person I'm talking about, I have to be very <laughs> careful because I, you know, I don't want her anyone to hear this that knows her but right um but i even you know now this is she's often the only black person of color in the room and so um she what she hears and what she faces on a daily basis it's like my goodness you know she has to pray before she goes in there because Mm -hmm. she's just like god keep my mind because this is crazy so what would your advice be for i know that there are many black women that have passion to go into this field what would your advice be for them I would say because I think one of the things and 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 when you're like early in your career it's hard to know when to speak up Mm -hmm. because you know you don't want to mess up your coins um Mm -hmm. but at the same time we got into this field for a reason right and so when we are and this is something that I'm still trying to, to to figure out for myself um, but I'm becoming a bit more comfortable speaking up. I fortunately happened to work for a space where this is no longer an issue. Oh, wow. Very diverse workspace. Um, but even still, I mean, dealing, being a black woman in the workforce is an experience in and of itself. So even oh. when you're in a space that is not, it's very diverse, people understand the issues, you still may encounter one or two people that might just, you know, microaggressions still um, are very real. Yes, yes. But I think the important thing to keep in mind is if you are, when I'm the only Black woman in a space and there is something that's being said or something that's being done that is just like, it's just off. Mm-hmm. You're there for a purpose. And sometimes these people just don't know better. Some of them do and still continue to be, you know, how they are. Right. But I think we do need to use those opportunities to speak up mm-hmm. um, and in a strategic and tactful way. Mm-hmm. And that is where it becomes tricky. But I think as a black woman, one of the things and I've been talking to my coworkers about this is that when you're confident and secure in who you are as a black woman, that threatens a lot of people. Say it again. Say it again. <laughs> it threatens a lot of people. And sure I didn't does. realize that until I've had some of the experiences that I've had recently in my career. And I'm like, wow, like I literally just come in here every day to do my best work. Why mm-hmm. are you, why are you bothering me? Yep. 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 <laughs> some people are so confused because they have an idea of, of how we're supposed to be. Yes. Fit into that box. Yes. It intimidates them. They oh my intimidate God. them and they try to bring you down to the size that they want you to be at. Come on. Come on. Once you recognize that that's what's happening, I think we have to do everything in our power to not allow that to dim our light and mm-hmm. to make us, you know, move in a way that that's smaller than how we're really supposed to be moving. Um, 
and I'm like, so my, that's my advice. It's like, know what you're dealing with, know the beast that you're dealing with and figure Mm -hmm. out how to maneuver in certain spaces in a tactful way. And I think there's a part of me that understands how to play the game. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's very unique to what, what your, what your situation is, but I think you have to play the game in a way that's still where you're still taking care of yourself Mm-hmm. You're not playing in a game where you're like putting yourself, um, your self-care, your mental health in a, at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do, there's a certain level of tact and awareness that you have to have as a black woman. Like, that's just what it is. It's, it's yeah. not fun. It's not pleasant, but that's just the way it is. But at the same time, you can't play the game in a way that makes you like, you know, it just makes you dim your light. Right. Um, and makes you afraid to speak up when, when you need to speak up. And I think we can all tell when there's a moment like I need to say something. Right. And when right. you feel that, I feel like sometimes you may need to, like, be quiet in that moment mm-hmm. because, you know, the first thought may not come out the way it needs to come out or it may not be the appropriate time or space to speak up. That's good. But so sometimes it means you need to speak up in that moment. And other times it may mean you need to jot that, take it, take a note. Mm-hmm. And then go to whoever it is that you need to speak to to say, hey, like, this is how I think we should approach this. I think we need to frame this this kind of way. Um, but my advice to black women navigating healthcare is, you know, it's a very people come to healthcare institutions in their most vulnerable state. Either mm-hmm. they're trying to protect their health or they're going through some kind of health crisis. And if you know that there are administrators or clinicians in there that don't have people's best interests in heart, you can't yeah. turn a blind eye to that. You can't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I was dealing with my situation in my previous job, um, I I played the game and I played it to the end. But when I left, I made it very clear to the institution that something needs to be done in this department because mm-hmm. this is not OK. Mm. made it very I was like I can't leave this place in good conscience knowing like hey once I'm out of here I don't got to deal with that anymore like I was like no there are going to be other black women who come through here other women of color who come through here Mm -hmm. they shouldn't have to experience what I experienced in this space and maybe no one's gonna get fired by me doing what I'm doing right now but it will make them pause and think twice about trying to do this to, to the next person. Mm. And um, I won't go into the details of what had happened because we'll be here all day. But right, right, right. after I left, it was it it was made clear to me that like, yo, whatever you did, it it, it drove the point home because things are things have changed. Wow. And I. And sometimes that's just what it takes. It's like letting people know you can't get away with this. Mm-hmm, you you mm-hmm. know better and it's time for you to do better. And it all depends on what your situation is. I think you just got to know how to navigate things in a tactful, professional, mm-hmm. and a strategic way that still lets people know that you will be held accountable if you are being racist, if you're being prejudiced, um, and if you're saying things that are just like, you know, just wrong, whether it be homophobic, Whatever it is, like mm-hmm. you, there needs to be accountability. And I think that as black women, we need to be more comfortable speaking up and holding people accountable, especially mm. when they're, they're causing harm to us personally. Mm. 
That's good. That's good. And, and you're absolutely right. It is building that confidence and, and navigating when and where and how and wisdom and all the, those good things. I, I definitely, definitely agree. Now, I want to keep talking about your platform and I want to talk about the beginning stages of your platform. And you also mentioned earlier that there's a team. This is not just you, but there's a team behind you. Um, however, um, a first part of it is I want to talk about how this team came together, like how you were able to put this team of people together to build this platform. And then I also want to talk about in when you, for the very beginning stages of starting this platform, I want to talk about, did you struggle with comparison? Did you struggle with imposter syndrome? Did you struggle with doubt? If you struggled with any of these things, how did you learn to say, to push past and keep building? Mm-hmm. So the team came about organically. When I tell you, like, when you're walking in purpose, I think you get confirmation from God when things like that happen. So I'm mm-hmm. just, I just started building this thing and it, it was like a passion project at first. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the response that people were having, you know, to the platform. And I'm just like, this is bigger than me. Yeah. And there's no way I'm going to be able to continue to build this on my own. And I remember praying about it but still being hesitant because I'm like, I can't pay anybody. So I can't ask for help. Like, and it started with one of my friends, like wanting, she like really believes in the vision and wanted to, to support. And I was just like, girl, like I can't pay you. So Mm -hmm. I don't, I like, I, I need the help, but I don't, I don't feel comfortable asking for help if I'm not able to pay someone. Um, And then I remember praying. So I like told her like, no, like, you know, I don't think I can do that. Like, I don't feel comfortable. And then I got to a point where I was just like, I can't do this on my own. Like if I'm going to continue to build this, like God, I actually need help. Mm. That again. And I, and this time I was less resistant. I was like, okay, I actually do need the help. So she came on board and someone else saw on social media who I went to grad school with and she believed in it and said, how do I get involved? Wow. Another friend. It just like all just everything came into place. The team just came into place on its own. And I really believe that 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 was divine. Um, Even finding my co-founder divine like the person who suggested that you know like I think that this person would be great in building this with you um that relationship has been great and I just really believe that when you're walking in purpose um God and you're doing something that is beyond you Mm -hmm. um, that God will really allow things to come into alignment without you seeking sometimes mm-hmm. I mean, there is a, a certain level of legwork that you have to do, but some certain things I think will just come into alignment. And that's when, you know, like, this is, this is something, this is not just something I created like on a whim, like this is bigger than what I conjured up. And, right. and that's, that's really how the team came about. Like I've had someone else ask me like, how'd you come up with, how'd you get your team? Did you put out a call? And I'm, I was like, no, like, these people believed in the vision and they saw my heart and passion with it. They can tell that I'm not doing it for clout. Mm. I'm not doing it just to have That's a platform good. for the sake of having a platform. Oh, I man. actually believe in what it is that I'm doing. I believe it's important. Yes. And, and the people who are working with me believe in the work that we're doing together and believe that it's important. Um, and so we just, just divine alignment is what I would have to say that it is. Honestly. That's awesome. That is awesome. Now, did you, did you struggle with, you know, in building this, did you struggle with comparison? You know, the imposter syndrome, doubt, fear, did you struggle with any of that while building? 
So the imposter syndrome, yes. I can tell you, um, so my background is in public health. I know that I'm passionate. I know that I'm intelligent. Mm -hmm. But then when I saw the response to, when I I think I did the call for writers, because I realized, I'm like, okay, I created this platform. I love reading academic journals. I can write, um, I can take academic journal language and then translate it into something that I think is more palatable for your average, that your average person would want to actually read and engage with. Um, But I knew that I wouldn't have the time and energy to push out articles on a consistent and regular basis. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. maybe I'll put out a call for writers in this um, group that I was in. That's um, for black women who are in the healthcare and public health field. Mm -hmm. So I created this um, image and I put it out and I got so many responses from women who were like, chairs of departments at at institute academic institutions women who are well established in their healthcare career reaching out to write for this platform i was mm. like oh lord right right <laughs> i'm just little ashley who's still trying to get her master's degree and wow. i women with doctorates and 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 mds asking to write for my platform like wait what and that's mm-hmm. what I had, that's what I put it out there for. But when I got the response, I was taken aback because right. I didn't think people would have, you know, been willing. Like, yeah, what is health in her view? Who's behind it? Why would they want, you know, but I just put it out there to see. And when I saw the response, I remember laying in my bed and crying and thinking like, wow. this is actually bigger than I I yeah. anticipate it. And so there's still a level of, I've kind of gotten beyond it because I'm like, this is something you, you created, you thought of. Right. Just because you're not an MD or a clinician doesn't mean you don't have the capacity to do this and build wow. this. Wow. But there is sometimes a level of like, I'm, I'm just trying to figure this out. Uh-huh. And you, you're, you almost feel like, am I faking it till I make it? Like, mm. is someone going to call me out and be like, this is, you don't really know what you're doing. Right, right. Um, but the way that I overcome those thoughts when they try to, you know, impose themselves on, on me, but I just remind myself that it's not, this is not about Ashley. So mm-hmm. get over the insecurity, get over the, the feeling of being an imposter and just do the work. Come on. Um, and so that's how I, how I address that. But I would be lying if I said that those thoughts didn't creep up on me from time to time, uh-huh. they do, but I have to remind myself that if, if I wasn't capable of doing this, mm-hmm. God would not have entrusted me with this that's idea. It. That's it. That's it. Um, wow. That's awesome. And I love how, you know, you're, thank you for your vulnerability and, you know, just saying like, Hey, this is, this is something I still work through. But the thing is, I love your example because you're still doing it. And it just lets other people know, like, you can feel the feelings. They can be there, but you can make up your mind that this, that there's something to this. This is my purpose. And I'm not going to give into those feelings. I'm going to do what I was sent to do on this earth and make the impact. And my feelings will have to catch up with, with me because I'm not, I'm not going to let them pull me down. I love that. And I, <laughs> I actually uh, realized I didn't ask you this question, but I'm actually really curious. Um, how did you come up with the name Health in Her Heel? It's so unique. Thank you. When I say it literally felt like a birthing process, mm. like 
actually felt like I was going through labor pains. Um, wow. And I've never given birth, so maybe that's a bad analogy. No, I, be- I believe we give birth to some things, but okay. It was liter- it literally felt like I, because I knew I was on the cusp of something. I like, it was on my phone and just like writing down different names, like just writing down different words. I knew I wanted to speak to the fact that like something related to like hue and color. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I didn't want it to be corny, but I wanted, I wanted to have like the message embedded in the name. Mm-hmm. And it took a whole process. I remember sharing some of the options with my siblings. I'm like, does this sound cheesy? Does this sound? <laughs> and they gave me their feedback. And then I remember just being up to like 3 a.m. one night mm-hmm. on my, the notes app on my phone, just mm-hmm. playing around with the different words. And I, I could tell it was like, I'm so close. I just, I'm so close, but I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. And then it came. So I'm mm. like, I wanted the cue to represent something. I didn't want it just to just be like hue because it has to do with color. I wanted there to be an acronym that spoke to the mission um, of the platform. Right. And that was, I, I remember praying about it because I was like, I was getting really frustrated. Like, oh, like, I feel like I'm so close. And then I came up with health and her hue. And that mm-hmm. speaks to, you know, like, speaks to women, has to do with color. Mm-hmm. And the hue represents heard and understood experiences. So health mm-hmm. and her heard and understood experiences. And I think wow. that speaks to everything that I'm trying to, to do with, um, with the platform is that women need healthcare services, we need healthcare providers, we yes. need healthcare information mm-hmm. that speaks to our unique experiences, that hears us out, that understands our, our unique experiences as being both Black and, and being women. Um, and we also just need to be understood. So that mm-hmm. that's how the name came to be. I just wanted something that really... Um, embodied what the mission and vision of health and her hue um, would be. That's awesome. I love it. Now, what motivates you to continue to build? Because one thing that I find in building my platform is it's exciting to launch and it's exciting to start, but then to keep going and to keep being consistent. um, Mm -hmm. What is that thing that motivates you to keep building when you're like, I'm about ready. This is tiring. I'm about done. Okay. I need Mm -hmm. to know what you keep doing it. What motivates you to keep doing it? So I believe, I think it's the response, not I think, I know that it's the responses that I get from, from women. When I see people commenting on our, our Instagram posts and engaging with us in discussions, mm-hmm. um, when I remember one time we got a DM from a woman who said that she wanted to become a black lactation consultant mm-hmm. and read one of our articles and said like, you know, I thought that this this is something that's been weighing on me because of my experience. And after reading this article, I'm looking into um, becoming one. Can you connect me to the person who wrote this article so that wow. I understand what her process was? Wow. So it's moments like that. Even yeah. people who I know and don't know who reach out to me and say, keep doing what you're doing, Ash. Like, this is actually, this is really needed. It's helpful. Yes. I look forward to reading the posts um, on Instagram and reading the articles. So that, and then, and then even speaking to one of my professors from NYU, who's an MD, mm-hmm. I, you know, I spoke to her, she said, no, what you're doing is actually, it's meaningful. Yes. So I would say overall, it's the responses that I'm getting from women. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, a lot of people are talking about Black women's health and especially maternal health. Mm-hmm. But 
I want this conversation to continue. I want these conversations to continue happening amongst us, even when the mainstream media stops talking about it, even if it stops being a hot topic. Mm -hmm. I recognize that this is something that black women have been wanting and needing. Maybe didn't realize it until health and her hue came to be, but just seeing and hearing the responses and feedback from other women Mm -hmm. um, gives me the drive to keep going and to keep, keep doing it. That is awesome. Now, what is your vision for this platform five to 10 years from now? What, what, um, if you don't mind sharing, are you planning for this platform? So we are actually working on now doing like video content. um, People read articles. Um, I'm an avid reader, so I know that there's still a need for that. So the, the written content will still exist, but also I've come to realize that people like digesting um, bite-sized information via video. So Mm -hmm. we're working on creating videos that would, you know, and kind of create conversations and and, and spark dialogue amongst Black women about certain issues. So we're working on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we're also working on developing an app Mm -hmm. that would really um, bring to life the full mission and vision of health and her hue, which would be like really connecting black women to healthcare providers um, and resources. So those are the things that we are building um, and hopefully we'll have, not hopefully, I'm going to claim it. Come on. an app (laughs) that will really, you know, embody everything that we're trying to do with health and her hue. So an app where black women can, if you're looking for a black provider, you oh, wow. your phone and be able to connect with a black provider who accepts yes. your So oh that's what we're, gosh. we're working on right now. Do you understand how <laughs> needed that is? I was just talking to one of my closest friends and we were talking about um, therapy and she was talking about her journey in finding um, a therapist and how she, cause she was like, I want a black woman because I, I know that a black woman will, would better be able to understand my experiences, but finding that journey wasn't the ease, finding that uh, wasn't the easiest for her. So just to hear there's someone out there that is thinking of this and coming up with a way to simplify the process, mm-hmm. man, I'm so excited for, for, well, for that. You. Um, and speaking of therapy, actually, I wanted to dive into some of your articles because you give us a lot of good gems in these articles. So I wanted to, I pulled out, what I do is I pulled out um, some pieces that I wanted to talk about. I couldn't talk about the whole thing. If not, we'd be here all day. Um, But I pulled out some pieces and I wanted to kind of dive into them. And some parts I'll just read and stop and ask you about that portion. Um, And I I literally just wanted to dissect it. So um, the first article is therapy is for church girls too. And I'm going to start right here. You say, being a full-time grad student while working full-time in a toxic, toxic, racist work environment at bat, plus dealing with the expectations of my family and church began to really weigh on me. I was breaking out in hives daily, really bad, debilitating hives. It got to a point where my, where my allergist had me taking antihistamines every day to control them. I was miserable, but didn't really acknowledge it because I had to make my money and excel in school. Who had time to wallow in or acknowledge misery? Not I. I was moving through life, balancing things, seeming okay. But in reality, I was in- internalizing a lot, a hell of a lot of stress, and my body was reacting to it. 
One night I was walking home from class and I began to cry uncontrollably for what seemed like no reason at all. The crying was so intense that it became difficult for me to breathe. So I stood in the street and bawled until I could collect myself. To this day, I'm not sure if it was an anxiety attack or what, but it was a terrible and frightening feeling. And it was in that moment that I realized I was nearing a breaking point. So I needed a look for, to look for a therapist and give it a go. Um, I want to stop right here because there's more <laughs> that I pulled out from this, but I want to stop here because I find um, your experience really interesting, especially when it comes to stress management. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I, I, the rhetoric that I really hate is when people talk about millennials being lazy. I can't stand that because the millennials that I, <laughs> the millennials that I know are hardworking um, and work their butt off to a fault. Mm-hmm. I mean, someone I know was working three jobs, going to school, being an EMT. I mean, because all because she was trying to build and it was it, it, she was going through so much that I remember somebody advised her, you know, to say, hey, you're going to the way you're going you might actually hurt or even kill yourself. You need to slow down. This is too much. And so I, when I read that, I immediately thought of, about that. So I want to talk about kind of this, this journey in your life um, of just working yourself to get to this place. So I want you to talk a little bit about that and your breaking point and realizing I need to talk to somebody because this is not good. Right. So that that time in my life was I reflect on it and I'm just like, I don't know how I was doing it. Right. Um, and people would ask me, like, how are you your grad school full time, working full time? Mm-hmm. And you go to church. And I mean, it got to the point where I had to tell my pastor, like, you know, I'm I can't be as involved in ministry as, you know, as you would like me to, because I'm in I'm, I'm just balancing too much. Right. So, like, at the same time, my family is very involved in the church. So I'm like dealing with the pressures of balancing work, balancing school, balancing church, balancing my social life and trying to make it all work. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, and then I was dealing with the stress of, of the toxic environment that I was working at on top of all of that. Right. Um, and so I remember just, I remember praying and being like, God, like this is a lot. Like I don't, I like recognized that I was doing a lot, but because nothing seemed to be falling apart, I was just like, well, I got it clearly. Like people are surprised, but I mean, I pray and somehow like I'm able, I'm making these good grades. I'm, I'm still performing well on the job. Like Mm -hmm. one of the lead recruiters for this clinical trial. So everything seems to be working. And I was just kind of like, and I know it's a cliche to say, but I was really on autopilot. Like I would go, straight to school, straight to school after, um, after work. And then I work, I lived like an hour away from my campus. So a lot of times it would be like nine o'clock at night. And instead of just kind of like checking out, I, I would be on the train reading an academic paper because I'm like, well, I have this hour where I'm just sitting here. Wow. Um, and then I would get home and be, it would be like 11 o'clock and I still would be up either writing a paper or reading a paper. Mm. And just not thinking about tiredness because in my mind, I remember telling myself, you cannot be tired. You can't afford to be tired. So don't even think about it. Just keep doing what you're doing. And then that moment that I wrote about in that piece, 
was one of the mo- the nights when I was walking home from from the train station after coming home from school and I allowed myself to think about how tired I was because normally I just like the thought will come and I'm like nope you gotta read that paper so don't mm-hmm. even don't entertain the thought and that moment I was just like no like I am tired you're tired Ashley like you're exhausted you're doing a lot mm-hmm. and it was like having this moment where my I was talking to myself internally and it's just like, acknowledge the fact that you're doing a lot. You don't have to mm-hmm. deny it. You need to accept it. Mm-hmm. And because you have a whole semester left of this. So mm-hmm. sis, fig- you don't have to figure it out because you can't keep ignoring right. the fact that you're tired. Like at some point you're going to come crashing down. Right. And so when I came to that realization, I was just overwhelmed because I'm so used to dealing with stress well mm. and almost to a fault. Like I had been convincing myself that everything was okay because I was telling myself it had to be okay instead right. of acknowledging that, no, you're actually doing a lot and you don't give yourself enough credit and you're not mm. taking care of yourself. Mm. Um, so that was that moment for me. It's just like really having to have a long pause and accept the fact that like you're human. Don't, you can't just rely on these supernatural powers. Um, you have to reckon mm. with the fact that you, you need rest and that's, yes. You also need, you might need to be talking to someone during this time. Right, right, right. For me, it was like, okay, how do I figure this out on my own? And I realized I don't really know how to do this. How do I Mm. prioritize? All of these things seem so important to me. Making Mm. money on my job, um, maintaining the job because the job was allowing me to get some tuition reimbursement. So it was like, I can't quit the job because it's actually beneficial to me academically. Um, and financially, mm-hmm. um, it was also allowing me to do, satisfy my internship requirement. So, and then I'm like, I can't not go to church. So mm-hmm. that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm also breaking out in these highs. Like, how do I figure out how to prioritize my life in this season? Yeah. And that's when I realized I, I need to speak to someone because while prayer is helpful, mm-hmm. I still need someone to help guide me through figuring out how to navigate this this period of my life and so that moment was like my come to Jesus moment of realizing you actually need to look for a therapist and stop playing around because you can't have any more moments like this one and I love that I want to that leads me right into the second part of what I want to talk about so you say the girl who grew up in the give me that old-time religion Pentecostal holiness tradition wasn't even supposed to be in a therapy session because we don't really do that sort of thing you know we usually just pray. But there I was having an encounter with God in therapy. You can't tell me God ain't real and that my life with all its complexities and contradictions is without purpose. And you surely can't convince me otherwise when I say that therapy is in fact for church girls. We deserve safe spaces. We deserve healing and we owe it to ourselves to do the work required of us to be the woman of our creator destined us to be. And I love this. Uh, my favorite part was when, when you talk about that you found God in therapy and that wasn't separate for you because usually when we talk about therapy in church, um, mm-hmm. people usually don't think that you can find God in therapy, that God can give you the wisdom that you need in therapy because he gave the gift to the therapist. Exactly. <laughs> and so when you go to therapy, um, right. you know, he's all up in that. So I want you to talk a little bit about that. Okay. So I, on my quest or search for a therapist, I was very intentional about finding a therapist who had 
who's a Christian. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. And so I, I looked for that specifically because I understand that like the way that I move through life, the way that I approach things from my perspective, my faith is at the core of everything that I do. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make sure that I had a practitioner who understood that. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to relationships, I need you to understand the way that I'm approaching relationships mm-hmm. romantically and it's coming from my faith and what I believe. And so I want someone to be able to guide me through the different aspects of my life, knowing that my Christian faith is the way that I'm approaching everything. Yeah. Um, and so I was able to find a therapist who granted, I think her denomination is different from mine, but we still, you know, we both love Jesus and (laughs) that is what matters the most. And Mm -hmm. so I remember one time just talking to her in that session, it was specifically about some of the things that I was dealing with at my church. Um, and just feeling a lot of pressure to, to comply with certain things that I don't really believe in theologically. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, not wanting to disappoint people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was really encouraging me in that moment. Like, you, you can tell when something is just like, you know, a session, advice. And then there are moments where I can tell, like, no, this is God speaking to me through this person. Mm-hmm. And through that entire session, it wasn't just her speaking to me. It was like everything she was saying was what I needed to hear that's good. In that specific moment and how I needed to hear it. And I was like, yeah. that is God. Like, that's how I know God is speaking to me. Like, mm-hmm. it could be through a friend. But in that moment, it was my therapist. And I'm like, sh- like God is speaking to me through her in this moment. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I think I talked about it. I wrote about it in the article, too. Um, I was getting up to give her my car to pay my co-payment. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, like, it was just divine. Like she got up because normally we start the sessions with prayer and we end them with prayer. Yes. I and, love that. Which I love. Exactly. And so at this point, normally like we, I'll sit down in the chair and she's sitting at her desk and she prays. At this point, I'm like still talking to her while I'm giving my card. And she came over to me and held my hands and started praying for me. Mm. And even the prayer that she was praying was every single thing that I was like thinking about and dealing with in that Wow. Moment. Wow. And I was like, this is wow. God. Wow. This is God. I'm even getting an emotional right now just from yeah. like the moment. It was just so powerful. And I remember thinking, cause I was still feeling guilty about going to therapy as my mom was like, you don't need to go to therapy. You need to pray. Mm. Therapy is for people who have issues. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that old school thinking and right. feeling like, still feeling somewhat shameful, even though I was going and finding it beneficial to me. Mm-hmm. And it was like, God confirmed that like, no, this, you came exactly when you needed to come right. and I to speak to you, even right. in a session that people think that a Christian shouldn't be in, you know, like, oh my even gosh. In this I love and it. That was powerful to me. And that's when I stopped being afraid, you know, to say publicly that I go to therapy and it's been helpful and beneficial to me, not just mentally, but also spiritually. She's been helping yes. me work through some things in my faith that I've been struggling with. Yes. And I don't think I would be working through them right now if I didn't have this person that was holding me accountable. I love that. Also in my family, 
even the suggestion of therapy is no, we don't, you know, we, right. And I, and I get that. And I, I believe in the power of prayer. I, I, I believe prayer works, but I also believe that God answers prayers through different avenues, whatever he chooses to. Exactly. And therapy can be one of those answers to that prayer. And so we just have to take God out of that, that little box that we have there. <laughs> I want to talk about, the healing power of a girl's trip. And the reason why I chose this, I chose this because you decided you choose, you chose the word healing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, honestly, I, that has not, that's been, I know people would probably think this is dramatic, but it really is healing when black women come together and uplift each other. And I specifically chose this because I remember my first kind of real job out in the work, in the workplace and um, the black women were not welcoming to me at all. And I remember how that broke my heart because I was like, but, but it's we. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're in this together. And so when I read this, I was like, yes, because when Black women do come together and the women that are, that are in my life, when, we, when we're together and we're uplifting each other, it is healing. It is everything. It, it literally gives me the strength and the safe space and all of that to just keep moving and keep going forward. So I want you to talk a little bit about this. And I want to read um, a little portion of the article Girls' trips are healing because sometimes you need to turn up with just your girls with no pressure to meet men. Although somehow that's always when they seem to find you. Girls' trips are healing because sometimes you need to put on your PJs, turn on your Apple music, and burn them extra calories off dancing to throwback jams in your hotel room. Girls' trips are healing because in the midst of an honest, no-holds-barred conversation, you get epiphanies about what they really about what you really want, but maybe too afraid to admit in other spaces. Girl strips are healing because although your girlfriends may grasp and clutch your proverbial pearls at your confessions and uncensored desires, you know there is no judgment. Girl strips are healing because you get to vent about work, school, men, and get validation that may not fix the issue, but at least makes you feel like you ain't tripping. Girl strips are healing because you get to share your crazy ideas and career aspirations with no shade or side eye just encouragement and the occasional yas with an accompanying hand clap girl trips are healing because in the midst of recovering from heartbreak adjusting to a fairly new job and gearing myself up for my final year of grad school this past weekend i was overwhelmed with peace love joy and comfort that eased my mind and soothed my soul so i want you to talk about this healing power and and also i want you to talk about because when I hear this, I also think about, well, what about the women that, first of all, that still have, because there is this, still this rhetoric of, I don't need, you know, girls, girls are all catty. Mm-hmm. And like I talked about, you know, th- there are those moments. But what about that girl that's still like, I only hang out with guys. I only need guys. <laughs> that's good. Like I'm, I'm a guy's, I'm a guy's girl anyway. So I want you to talk to that girl. But I also want you to talk to the girl that's like, I desire this, but I don't have it. Mm. I don't, I don't know any girls. I don't, I don't know anybody that is there to, to give all this to me. I'm open to it, but I can't find it. So I'm going to speak to that, to the second girl first. Cause I remember, um, a friend of mine after I published the ch- church girl uh, therapies for church girls too, he reached out to me to meet up and it was because, you know, 
he said his fiance has been just constantly had like negative experiences with, with, you know, her female friendships and doesn't have a solid group of like friends, um, Mm -hmm. female friends. And was just speaking to me about how, you know, how he feels helpless because he wants to be able to help her find that community. And she's been navigating these very elite white spaces as an attorney, but doesn't have that core group of, um, of friends to, to support her and to kind of like be a safe space after you spend all day at work for five days a week in spaces where you feel like othered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my heart really truly is burdened for women who don't have that because mm-hmm. I know that that has been my saving grace all the time, all the mm-hmm. time. Like if mm-hmm. I didn't have the core group of friends that I had, man, like I really, I don't know if I would have made it through certain things. And maybe that sounds a bit dramatic, but that's how crucial those relationships are to me and how beneficial they have. They have literally been like a lot and they continue to be a lifeline to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say to her to really like pay attention to who's around you. um, And it's 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 almost hard to speak to that because I think my friend my my friendships have happened organically, mm-hmm. and I think you also have to be discerning of who really has your best interest at heart. Mm. Um, and sometimes friends can come in the form of a, a, a coworker. I know that people say like you can't be friends with your coworker, um, and that holds true most times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I've also had. Even at work, like I, my, I have a core group of friends at work who are my coworkers. Yes, um, and I still keep that in mind. But they are, have been my saving grace in the context of work and navigating the professional space. We're able to have each other's back, or if I need a moment to vent about some something because it's it's unique to my experiences being a black person in the, the workforce. I can we can go into an office and talk candidly with one another about that thing, right? And, I mean, that friend group is a specific friend group, but it's important in that context, in that workspace, because I can talk to my girlfriends about the things that I deal with at work, but they aren't there to experience it with me. So they're only seeing and hearing it from my perspective. Mm -hmm. But me and the other Black girls at work, we work in the same office. We know the same people. We know how things work. We understand the culture. And so we can have each other's back and give each other advice um, in a very particular and specific way that your girlfriends who don't work with you can't really, you know, do. Right. Um, So I would say pay attention to like who's around you and the spaces that you move through. Are there black women there? Mm. Um, And if they are kind of like open yourself up to getting to know them. Like I I understand that all skin folk ain't kin folk. So you Mm got to be mindful of that too. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of, I would suggest like being open to getting to know um, other black women in the spaces that you are and, and see what happens there. But don't obviously don't force, don't force, you know, something that isn't happening organically. And if you know, notice that you're dealing with someone who may not be, um, kinfolk, then, you know, it is what it is. But I would say, put yourself in places where you can commune with other black people Mm -hmm. and, you know, use discernment as you try to form relationships with people, because, and when I, when you were reading that piece, um, the excerpt from that piece back to me, I like went right back into that, that time with my girlfriends. We went on a weekend mm-hmm. trip 
And I was still still dealing with a lot, like still trying to figure out how I'm about to do, you know, like balancing grad school, um, starting a new job. And I was still getting over a really bad heartbreak. But being with them that weekend, I was able to literally forget all of the things that I was burdened by. Mm. But also be able to talk about them in a very candid way. And you just feel free. Mm. You need, I think as Black women, we need spaces where we can be free yes. ourselves. Yes. Um, free of, and, and I guess this will segue into me talking to the woman who thinks that like all women are catty and all that stuff. Because mm-hmm. um, I have... I have specific feedback about that commentary, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, we need spaces where we can truly be free to let our hair down, say what we want to say, be as candid as we want to be. And just know that these people love you so much that they'll speak truth to you, but they're also not going to judge you. You can say the craziest thing, uh, but they see your potential, but they also appreciate you for who you are in this moment. Yes. Yes. That has been, it's literally healing. Cause I remember coming back from that trip and I was like, I didn't know that I really needed that, but I needed it. Yep. And I came back feeling better. And so to the women who say that they don't need female friendships or all oh, women are catty, you're, you're connecting with the wrong folks. Come and on. I would also challenge you to check yourself because a lot of times I think when we like say things like, oh, everybody is the problem. No, gosh. You tend to be the common denominator, you know? Wow. wow. <laughs> you tend to be the common denominator. And that's not shade. That's just truth. It's right. Just- because um, all women aren't catty. I don't mm-hmm. deal with cattiness in my core group of friends. And I thank God all the time because I'm like, I don't got time for that type of drama. Yeah. So there are women out there who will love and support you for who you are if you allow them to. And if you are being that woman back to them. Come on. Yeah. So if you're not being that person, then it's going to be hard for you to believe that other people can be that person for you. Yes. yes. Um, And so that's what I would say to that one. But I believe that as black women, we need each other. Like that's point blank. We need each other. And so the moment you realize that and open yourself up to really forming healthy relationships with other black women, you will experience something that you're like, wow, like you won't even have the words to articulate what it is. But as you're experiencing it, you will recognize that it's something that's absolutely necessary for your existence and for your um, ability to thrive in this world. That is awesome. That is absolutely awesome. Now, speaking of heartbreak, because you you did mention um, dealing with a heartbreak and that being one of the reasons why you needed to go on a girl's trip, you wrote wrote an article, you called it, You Can't Make Homes Out of People. And I was like, say it again, just that that title alone. But um, I want to read the excerpt that I pulled from this article. And it says, um, heartbreak sucks, which it does. But it's also extremely sobering and revealing. I pushed through that week and even in broken pieces, I did great on my interview. I got the job, puffy eyes and all. After I got through the interview, I called in sick on my job the next day so I could take a moment to deal with all my emotions and not lose my mind at work. Everywhere in Harlem, I walked reminded me of him. Passing restaurants were frequently made me made me burst into tears it was rough I went to three different coffee shops that day trying to study but I couldn't focus and I couldn't stop crying so I went home to pray I prayed and bawled and prayed and bawled and and bawled some more eventually God brought me face to face with myself he made me realize how he is for me he made me realize 
that I was allowing Roman to distract me, to distract me from the greater things he has in store for me. He wasn't telling me no to, he wasn't telling me no to romance, but that I needed to refocus and realign myself with his purpose for my life. Despite the hurt and sadness I was consumed by, the following things became clear to me as I spoke with God. This is my season of self-investment. This is my season of dedication to ministry. This is my season of travel. This is my season of learning to truly fall in love with myself. This is my season of learning to say no to things that don't serve my best interest. And first of all, I love all of this. And I want to kind of dive into pieces of this that really stood out to me. So you talk about um, God bringing you face to face with yourself and how he made you realize that um, the, the how he made you realize the false sense of security in a man can be and how fickle a man can be and how consistent his consistent his love is for you. When people when people talk about God's love, there's a, there's a rhetoric that goes around people are like when um people talk about the love of God and people say God, you know, he can't come down here and touch you the way that you you know, need to be touched. And yes, there's a truth to that. Yes, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that. Uh however, I do as somebody that went through two devastating heartbreaks and cried out and said, if, and asked God, if you don't show me your love, I don't know, like you got to, people keep telling me you love me, but I don't know what that is. And I can't go through heartbreak. I need you to show me that you love me because I don't feel that. Mm-hmm. And having that love revealed to me, I want you to talk about how God you know, spoke to you about the false sense of security in a man, because again, that's, it seems that's all we're looking for. Everybody wants to be in a relationship. Everybody wants to, you know, and that's great. Love is a beautiful thing. However, um, I want you to talk about, you know, your, how God revealed that love to you um, and how you came to realize like, yes, being in love is, is great, but I can't put my security in that. My security has to be in God. Anyway, that that's what I pulled from that article. Is that correct? Is that a correct interpretation of what you wrote? And can you talk? Yes, about absolutely about correct. Um, I so for some context, like that person was the first guy. Well, not the first Christian guy that I like seriously dated, but um, I would say like the first romance where I was like, I really believe that it could work. You know, my early 20s, I was just kind of dating to date just to get to know people and know what I like and disliked. And around 25 is when I became more intentional about, you know, dating men who share the same values as me. Mm -hmm. It was the second Christian guy that I I dated. But like this person, I really felt like we had so much alike. Mm -hmm. Um, Like both our families, very conservative. So I'm like, okay, so he would get my family. Like he would... You would understand. Um, But also we both were very progressive in our thinking and in our faith, but still came from these very conservative, traditional um, faith backgrounds. And on top of that, he was a musician and my family is very (laughs) musically inclined. So I'm like, he Mm -hmm. would fit in well. So, you know, you create these ideas of or have this idea of the perfect spouse. Like, Christian, I can tell he really loves God. Um. He would be willing to try, you know, like be celibate with me, um, mm-hmm. plays music. So he would get along with my my siblings and my dad and mm-hmm. he's in medical school. So he looks great on paper, too. He's tall, like just everything, everything. Right. 
Right. And right. so you're like, this has to work. Cause like, this is literally the answer to my prayers. Like, God, you be hearing me. Cause this is exactly <laughs> what I want. Right. Right. And so to have that moment, have someone who treated you well, who's fitting well into your friend group and then for it to not work out. And it was devastating because I didn't see it coming. Just did, mm. not, did not see it coming. It so worse. that was devastating. And then so I'm dealing with that hurt. And I'm like, but God, what, what went wrong? Like what, mm-hmm. what, like, you know, just having that moment of like, okay, God, this hurts. This sucks. What am I supposed to get from this? And so right. I remember playing uh, one of my favorite hymns farther along um, and just like laying in my apartment floor, living room floor and bawling and just being like, God, I need to hear from you. One, I need to feel your love in this moment. And I need to hear what it is that you're trying to teach me from this mm-hmm. experience. And I realized that I was getting so caught up in this man. Wow. And I didn't realize it because we were both in school at the same time. So we both like, we would study together and we understood when we had exams, like we can't spend time with each other. So we, there was this like mutual understanding of like, I'm gonna respect your time because you're pursuing your, your education and your professional pursuits and I'm doing mine. So I'm like, okay, so he's not distracting me from school and I'm not distracting him from school, but he was distracting me from ministry. Like there were times mm-hmm. when I was supposed to be at church and I was chilling with him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was just like, well, it's fine. Like, because, you know, like I can't put my whole life into church. Like I need to be able to find a man too, God. So they right. can't expect me to be there. All, like making all these excuses. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that I was getting caught up and not and not really paying attention to the other things that God needed from, like wanted from me mm-hmm. and needed me to be doing. And I was like, wow, it's crazy how when you feel like you've gotten everything that you've been praying for, mm. and you get it. And that takes you away and distracts you. Come on. You're from, from God. Like yes. thanking God for this blessing, but then you just throw God to the wayside. Like yes. what? Yes. And I had to be so honest with myself and be like, that's what you were doing, Ashley. Right, like, right. You were getting caught up. And, and and there's nothing love wrong with romance and love, but you can't you can't you can't have a flourishing relationship and not have God be at the center of it. Even if the man is a Christian and loves God, if both of y'all are distracting each other from your God-given purpose and calling, come on. Something is not right with that. Come on. And I'm not saying that God took it away from me because of that, but I remember distinctly, like I prayed, um, like two weeks prior, I was like, God, like everything about this man is amazing. Mm -hmm. There was also like him not wanting to commit and call it a relationship, even though that's essentially what it was. So there was Mm -hmm. that issue. And Mm -hmm. that was what sparked me to praying. And I always pray this prayer when I'm dating someone seriously and I hate praying it, but I feel like it's a necessary thing. Mm-hmm. my god this is amazing this is wonderful i feel like this is a relationship that's blessed mm-hmm. however if this is not in your will for my life Ooh. make it clear that oh. this is not the person well because i am so caught up that i'm not gonna be able to see it so i need on. you to make it clear to me when i say i pray that prayer Come and on. then two weeks later, this came to my house. That's how it be. And was like, yes, yeah, sis. So <laughs> <laughs> just not going to work out. 
And I didn't, like, in the moment, I'm not thinking about the prayer that I prayed, but, like, when I was in my living room crying and being like, God, like, what? He he slapped me in the face with that. Like, remember two weeks ago when you got on your knees and you were mm-hmm. like, if this is not my perfect will for you, did you want me to intervene? Well, I intervened. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think it's necessarily because I was getting caught up. It could just be that this person, and I remember this, like God also made this clear to me. He's like, you see what you want right now, Ashley. You wanted the doctor. You wanted the man who you could see fitting well into your family structure in life. Right. Um, you wanted the man who was six something. I know what you need five, ten years from now. Ooh, wait. You know what you want and need in this moment. Come on. And I was like, and that's how you know it's God. Because, yes, I'm smart and all that stuff. But, like, revelations like that don't just come to you. That's a divine, like, awareness. And so I was like, wow. I don't want to hear this right now, God. But what you're saying is real. Like, I can only, I only know what Ashley wants and feels like she needs in this moment. But, Who's to say that this man, like, I don't know who he's going to be 10, five years from now. I don't know where I'm going to be 10 or five or 10 years from now. Wow. And maybe we're not supposed to be together. And that could be why it didn't work out. I don't think it's because necessarily because I was getting caught up and distracted. Right. But I do think that there is a level of, like, discernment that sometimes we we don't necessarily have once you're caught up in your feelings and your emotions. Wow. And so that's why I always make it a point to pray that prayer because as much as I want love and romance, I also want God's perfect will for my life. Come on. I want that more than I want the man that I think I'm supposed to have. Jesus. (laughs) Because you can have the man that you think you deserve and are supposed to have, and that man may not be the person that you are supposed to live your life's purpose with. Oh, wow. Say it again, Ashley. Say it again. <laughs> you are giving me my life more, right now. Oh and that God. to me is more devastating than being alone. You know, like yes. if you're yes. with the wrong person and you're not able to carry out the purpose that God has for you because you made the wrong choice in a, in a partner. Oh that frightens God. me more than being single for the rest of my life. And granted, let me just put it out here. I ain't trying to be single for the rest of my life. One, say it again. (laughs) However, the thought of being with someone who is not God's perfect person for me frightens me more than leaving this earth without a partner. Point blank. And I think that God had to like draw me up. He had to yoke me up a bit with that, with that um, situation. And that's what I realized. I'm like, and, and, that in and of itself shows me God's love for me. It's Come like on, yes. he sees and knows what I need years ahead of Come what on. I am even able to see. Yeah. And that is the love of God. That's the love yes. of God that we don't always think about on a very surface level. Mm. But someone who loves you is thinking about what you need even before you need it. Yes. And that's what that moment taught me. Like, and that's when I felt like, literally, I remember being on my living room floor crying. My roommate wasn't there at the time. So I had the place to myself. Mm-hmm. And I literally felt God just like holding me and telling me, and I was listening to the song Father Along. He was like, you're going to understand this later. Wow. You're going to look back at this moment and it will all make sense. I promise wow. And wow. that was what carried me through that season. Jesus. Ashley, listen. <laughs> wow. Wow. I, 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 wow. 
wow do you hear me wow (laughs) that just blessed my entire soul it just blessed me because I know I know that there's somebody out there that needed to hear that and it is my joy (laughs) for them to be able to hear what you just said girl you just wow um okay so I want to talk about the other part of this you said he made me realize that I was allowing romance to distract me from the greater things he had in store for me um and he wasn't, he wasn't telling you no to romance, but you needed to realign yourself with your purpose for your life. Now, I, you talked a little bit more about this, but I guess I want you to dive a little bit deeper into this because oftentimes people don't realize that um, the person that you are connected with and purpose is extremely, extremely important. And, and I'm talking not just, you know, romantic relationships, although right now we're talking romantic relationships, but um, feelings are great and they're lovely and you know flowers and all that stuff is great but you need somebody that's not all not not only pushing you closer to god but also sees the purpose in your life is supposed to come alongside you and your purpose makes sense together um and you're you know you're pushing each other along so i I want you to kind of dive a little bit deeper into that then also i want you to talk about Um, God speaking to you about what your season was because oftentimes we think you know we break up and you say you have to go through this breakup but it seemed God made it clear to you that this is this this is what you're supposed to do in the season you're supposed to invest in yourself you're supposed to dedicate yourself to ministry by the way I want you to also talk about that because some people might hear that and say you know it's okay if you don't you know, you had a commitment to church and you're committed to doing these things in church. It's okay if you don't do that. It ain't that serious. It's not that deep. Mm-hmm. But I want you to talk about your, why you place so much importance on that and why you place importance on that for somebody else to understand the value you placed on. I need to be, this is where I need to be. And then you talk about, this is your season of travel. This is your season of falling in love with yourself. There's so much here. <laughs> I hope you <laughs> um, I want you to talk about, you know, learning to love yourself because I think about the scripture like um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and love your neighbor as you love yourself mm-hmm. and how you cannot love anybody if you don't love yourself. You cannot ask somebody to see something in you that you don't you don't like see in yourself if you don't think you're beautiful if you don't think you're all that in a bag of chips you fall for anything and so right. learning to love yourself and know your words so I want you to talk about how God revealed what the season was even after the breakup he didn't just leave you to say you just gonna cry your eyes out but he revealed to you this is what this season is about for you I want you to talk about that and also the purpose piece I know that's a lot <laughs> <laughs> So um, to speak to the first, I think the first question you had asked, like, you know, with realizing that God, you know, has a specific person and the importance of like really making sure that you um, have the discernment and are keeping in mind that the person that you choose to, to partner with um, mm-hmm. is important to your to your purpose. Yes. Fulfilling it. Um, I remember reading Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Um, mm-hmm. Granted, that book has some issues, but <laughs> I took gems from it. You know, you can take the meat and leave yes. it alone. Yep. Um, and there was one line in that book that I remembered um, clearly. And she was like, you know, one of the biggest professional decisions you will make as a woman is who you marry. Yes. And I took that and also applied it to my, to, you know, purpose. Um mm-hmm 
who you marry will be a big, will play a big factor in whether or not you actually walk in your calling. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. And so that moment, I don't know if the guy who I was dating would have been a hindrance, but I remember when I came up with health in her hue, um, and I want to say sometime like late last year, randomly, like I'm well, I'm over this guy completely, but I was just like, Oh, I wonder how he's doing. Like, it's crazy when you like were heartbroken and you think back, like, and then you think about yourself now, you're like, yo, I'm actually really over that situation. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, God, like, wow. Like, I, me- I remember thinking, like, what it would look like to finally be over the hurt. And now I'm standing in this place of peace. Right. And I remember crying, still just thinking, like, I remember going through that moment and not even being able to see myself on the other side of hurt. And so standing in that moment and being like, I'm over it. I'm on that other side. Right happy and I remember thinking like I don't know who knows if health and her hue would have come to be if I was with him wow I don't know like the thought hit me and I was just like I'm not gonna say that he would like it wouldn't have happened right. but what if that's what if God had to get that situation situation out the way in order for me to have the the space and the wherewithal to come up with health and her hue Mm. and the fact that that thought even crossed my mind as I was reflecting I'm like maybe that really was what it was like this guy was not supposed to walk with me along this journey and if anything he would have been a distraction from the things that God had in store for me to do Mm -hmm. um you'll never we'll never really know only Mm -hmm. God knows all the the inner workings of of how things play out in life but Mm -hmm. I thought about that and I'm just like and it really made me think about how important it is to really pray about the person that yes you want to be with because yes. you can have everything look good on paper and that person will not be who you you know who you need to be with and it will manifest itself at some point along the line um so that's that's what I took from that moment it was really like a sober moment to think like you need to pray at every step and level of yeah. a relationship yeah just because some things have you know a relationship may have the trappings of what it looks like to be a good relationship doesn't mean it's really the right one yeah that's and, good and that was what I learned from that in terms of the season that's um like God revealing to me the seasons that I was that I was in at that time or that what I should have been using that time to do. I think, I believe I was getting ready to leave um, for Cuba um, Mm -hmm. right before that breakup had happened. And um, I've always wanted to travel to different places. Um, And I mean, I'm not going, I wasn't going to let a man stop me. (laughs) Right. Right. I remember thinking like, you got so much, you have so many exciting things that are on the horizon. Like, yeah. yes, you can like sit in the hurt and be sad. Cause I mean, hurt hurts. Yeah. Um, heartbreak hurts. And, but at the same time, it's like, but you're getting ready to go to Cuba in another month. So it's mm. like, mm. that was an experience that you've been really wanting. You've always wanted to study abroad. You didn't get a chance to do it in undergrad. And now you get to do it in grad school. That's something mm. you prayed for. You didn't know how it was going to work. Cause you also work full time who can just really go and study abroad while they maintain their job. Like that was a divine, that was a blessing in and of itself that God had, you know, given to me. So I'm like, okay, I'm excited for that. Um, And then, and also just like travel period. But also Mm -hmm. when it, when it comes to like the ministry thing, I like, I realized that I also wasn't going to my church's youth services. Mm -hmm. And at that particular period in time, I knew that that was what God wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I knew he wanted me to be involved with the youth ministry um, because that was my, that was, I feel like that was my calling at, at, in that season. I needed to, as a young adult, the, um, the influence that you have on the younger people in your church is very, it's significant. So, yeah. and my church has a lot of what I would call turnover. Like once people go off to college, they don't want to come back mm-hmm. because of how traditional and conservative it is. Yeah. And I had always made it a point um, that when I went off to school, I would come back. Mm-hmm. Even if it was for just a period of time, I was like, I was going to come back. And so I did. And I was trying to do the work that I felt like God wanted me to do during that time. And I was. But then when I was dating this guy, I started to kind of get distracted from it. Mm. And I had to realize that, no, that's not right. If God wants you to be active in, in the youth ministry, you shouldn't be skipping youth service on a Friday night to go chill you know, with the dude, like, you know, you can, you can find a way to make both work. Tell him, Hey, I got to be in youth service until 9 PM. Maybe we can go to a restaurant or something late, you know, or just meet up on Saturday. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing that. I was saying like, no, I want to see him. (laughs) So I'm not going to go to um, youth service. I'll see them next week. They'll be fine. And God had to yoke me up about that. Like, nah, that's if you've been called to do something, you need to prioritize that. And no matter how amazing the man is, if if that's the person that you're supposed to be with, he'll understand that and he will support. In fact, he will encourage you. Come on. To go to youth service. Yes. To at a later date or, or a later time. So yes. that was what, you know, God revealed that to me as well. Um, and then in terms of like learning to love myself with that situation, it was it was an amazing relationship. Mm -hmm. Except he had commitment issues. He didn't want to call it a relationship because, and I feel like, I get annoyed with Christian men, some Christian men about this stuff. He just, Mm -hmm. he felt like the moment that he called it a relationship, we were going to be on the track to like getting married. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) He was just like, you know, I've always said that the next person that I make my girlfriend, she's going to be my wife. And the last woman that I said this to we dated for a year before I made, called her my girlfriend, which I think is absurd, but yes. whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and I made it very clear, like, I'm not going to be that girl. Uh-huh. Um, so he dated her for a year. And then when she, um, when he finally asked her to be his um, girlfriend, she immediately started planning a wedding. And oh <laughs> I told him, I'm like, you kind of set yourself up there because you told the girl that like the next person that you made your girlfriend, you're going to make your wife. So right. you dated her for a full year. Now you ask to be a girl, you know, you ask her to be yeah. a girl. So, you know, yeah. I think she just made this assumption. Right. And so he was very hesitant about that with me. And I told him like, one, I'm not in a rush to get married. Like, mm-hmm. I know you're in medical school. I'm in grad school. Like, we're doing, a, we're basically in a relationship. Can we just call it that? And so I was mm-hmm. never at peace with the fact that he wouldn't commit. Mm-hmm. And that was his excuse. And something about it just didn't sit well with me. But everything else was amazing. And so I let it go on for nine months, which is almost a full year. So mm-hmm. even though I put my foot down and told him I wasn't going to wait around for a year, um, I still allowed it to go on for nine months. And granted, he ended things with me because he knew that like, I was going to get ready to end things with him if he didn't make the commitment. So I think he pulled the plug first. Mm -hmm. Um, But that moment taught me like, I don't need to sit around and wait for a man to decide what he wants from me. Yeah. 
if I feel like a man knows, it doesn't take you nine months to figure oh, out who's going to be with somebody. Say it again. Right? Say it again. Oh my God. And I was giving him the benefit of the doubt because he was a Christian guy. But if this mm-hmm. guy was not a Christian, I would have I would have peeped the nonsense of the shenanigans a mile away. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt because you know he's a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and that so from that situation, I learned like I'm not I'm an active participant in any relationship that I'm in. Mm-hmm. I don't have to sit down and wait for a man to 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 navigate how, you know, the trajectory of the relationship. Mm-hmm. If you're not choosing to commit to me, there's a reason why you're choosing to not commit to me. And if you're not going to be open and honest about what that is, I can also decide that like, hey, this isn't working out for me. Like, yes, this feels great and everything, but I'm not at peace being with somebody and having them not commit to me after a certain period of time. Yep. And that takes a certain level of self-love and knowing yes, and knowing absolutely. that you don't have to sit around and wait on a man's timeline. Like granted, I'm not really going to force a man's hand to be with me. Right. At the same time, I'm not going to sit around and let you waste my time. Come on. Yes. I, I don't got time to waste. And I know that there's someone out there who will see my value and it doesn't take them nine months to recognize Hello. from me. Same um, here. So that was what that taught me. And I mean, I took that lesson from this relationship and I applied it to the next one. And I can say proudly that the last situation that I was in, the guy was trying to do the same thing. And I was like, look, bruh, like this is, this is not going to work for me. Like not that. Nope. You either know what you want. And if mm-hmm. you're confused, figure out your confusion over there because mm-hmm. I'm going to be over there. Um, and so I did take that time to really reflect on everything that I needed to learn from that situation. And, and it took me, and I learned, um, to prioritize ministry over anything. And the person that I'm with, if they're the right person, they will also support me in prioritizing ministry Mm -hmm. and my purpose and my calling. And secondly, learning to love myself and recognize what boundaries I want to set and what boundaries I deserve to set to protect myself, my, my heart, my emotions, um, and my peace. Mm-hmm. So that's what I that's what I learned from that season in my life and through the help of God, of course. Wow. You give so many gems and so I like I'm literally so excited to share this with the world. Um we've been at this for <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> I want to dive into the next article, but at the same time I'm kind of like, oh, we've been at this for so long. Mm-hmm. But I am going to you talk about unplugging to stay connected and mm-hmm. um Okay, I guess we're just going to do this. <laughs> I really want to hear your thoughts on this. Um, you talk about insights, as the, the insights that you have learned um, as you entered the, the second quarter of your 2018, as you approached your 28th birthday at the time, um, and as you're the end of your graduate school. And, and here are some things that you talked about. that I, I want to um, highlight a few points. I'm not going to be able to talk about everything, mm-hmm. but a few points and have you talk about them. Um, you say it's okay to be still. Life won't end because you're still. In fact, sometimes stillness is the necessary preparation for your next move. Recalibrate, sis. Recalibrate. Okay. So I want you to talk about that and talk about being still and what that practically looks like. Mm-hmm. So that, I remember when I wrote that, I was taking um, a social media hiatus. Mm-hmm. And I realized that like I was just bombarded with so many people's like thoughts and opinions and Mm. people's lives, you know, Mm -hmm. like scrolling through feeds and and all that stuff. It's just, it became overwhelming. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you're bombarded with people's lives and the things that they're doing, you feel this need to be doing yourself. Right, right. And sometimes you don't need to be doing anything. Sometimes you need to just be still because when you're that's still, it. that's when thoughts and ideas come to mind. That's it. Um, and so that was what I was learning in that moment is sometimes you need to just shut yourself down from everyone else's stuff mm-hmm. to deal with your stuff. That's it. That's good. That's good. You also talk about um, it. allow yourself to be frustrated with making yet another not so good decision, but always balance that out with pausing to reflect on the lessons learned. There's Mm -hmm. always a lesson, even if that lesson is you knew better, so start doing better. Listen, this right here, I talk about this a lot when I send it with, when I uh, write out to my um, email group, I talk about this probably 15,729 times a year because I always feel like there's a lesson that we, that when we go through things, there's a lesson attached to that. And when we get that lesson, we're able to, you know, live better once we get that lesson and begin to apply it. So can you talk about why you put that there, your perspective on this? Yeah. And even as I'm hearing the word, hearing you read the words, it's like speaking is convicting me right now. Because <laughs> um, I have I have a tendency of sometimes when you make a bad decision that you and, and you knew better and you didn't do better, you have a tendency to like beat yourself up like, Sis, like you knew, you knew what this was going to lead to again. You knew mm-hmm. entertaining that text message was going to lead to this frustration mm-hmm. yet again. So Come why'd on. you, you know, why'd you even bother? Right. Um, but during my whole unplugging, you know, moment, I recognize that some, it, sometimes it's not even productive to just beat yourself up. Sometimes you just got to pause and reflect on what do I take from this? Instead mm-hmm. of being like, Ashley, you're, you're being foolish. You knew better, you know, like just sit down and reflect on, okay, I made this decision that I don't think was the most productive or beneficial to me. Mm-hmm. How do I not make the same decision again? What do I got to do? Right. And so sometimes it is just recognizing that I know better and yeah. I need to act as if I actually do know better. Right. Um, so that was what that, you know, that summarizes what I, you know, was trying to convey in that, in that text. That's good. The last piece of this before we end this, um, you say continue to speak up for yourself and speak your truth. Be comfortable with the fact that everybody ain't going to rock with that and be ready for some abrupt departures. It is what it is and it ain't what it ain't. I love that. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, I think I am trying to like reflect on where I was in that period of time. And of course it's in relation to so to some guy, mm-hmm. but that statement can apply to many different things. Um, even things at church, I've spoken up about certain things and people aren't too keen on my perspective, but I'm like, this is just genuinely how I feel. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to speak truth Mm -hmm. um, when I feel it's necessary. And so with that, I was learning how to just speak up for myself when it comes to guys. I mean, I'm I'm typically a very assertive and outspoken person, Mm -hmm. but I know that I had a tendency with guys and try to not come across as too overbearing or too, you know, just being too mouthy for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. Um, but in that moment, I was just like, no, like I can speak my truth and you don't got to like it, mm-hmm. but this is my truth. And I mean, you have to use that obviously with, with tact and everything. You can't just be out here just saying what you want to say. Right. But when it comes to someone who's disrupting your peace or someone who's doing things that just like are getting under your skin, you have a right to vocalize what you're going to tolerate and what you're not. 
Right. And no, and they can choose to do with that what they want. They can either say, hey, I'm going to adjust my behavior because you've now um, expressed that you're not okay with this. Or you can decide that you don't want to, you're upset that I checked you on that and you're not, you don't plan on changing things and you can be about your merry way. Right, right. That's <laughs> so it. I've become more comfortable with um, just accepting that I don't need to be afraid about speaking um, with my best interest in mind. That's good. Ashley, thank you so much. I mean, you have poor, literally, I've gotten my life. And I said every time, but I mean, really today, I literally could run around this entire apartment. So <laughs> thank you so much for pouring your wisdom. Your name speaks. You are, you do have so much wisdom. And uh, I'm not surprised that your last name is wisdom because that's exactly what you gave us today. Um, I just have a few more questions and we and um, our conversation, unfortunately, will come to an end. Mm -hmm. But I want to find out what is your advice for people that are looking to find their purpose or saying, you know what? I also want to move in purpose, but I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. What's your advice to that person? So I would tell them to take time to reflect on the things in the world that weigh on them. Okay. Um, pay attention to those things that, you know, when you see and when you hear about it, it sparks something in you, whether it be like excitement, joy, rage, um, start with paying attention to those things that undeniably evoke some emotion from you, because that's usually an indicator that that's something that you've been called to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think once you start to walk in your calling, you'll naturally, you know, begin to do do or fulfill your purpose in life. And then I would also add prayer and meditation yeah. because I believe that you can't figure out what you were created to do unless you're consulting your creator. Come on. Like that's just what it is. You can't figure out what you what your purpose is unless you tap into the person who created you and the purpose um for which he created you. That's good. Now, what is your advice for anyone that is really inspired by, you know, health and her hue and is saying, I kind of, I mean, I love what Ashley's doing and I kind of want to move in that direction. What is your, what would you, how would you advise somebody to begin building a platform like health and her hue? So I would say stay, figure out your mission. Okay. That's the important thing. Figure out what it is, what's the thing that, you're, that you want to do? What's the problem that you're trying to address or solve or bring awareness to? Mm-hmm. And literally write out your mission statement mm. and stay connected to that as you're building your thing. Because it's so easy to get caught up in the trappings of building a platform for attention, for clout. Mm-hmm. But if you have a mission and you stay connected, like everything you do, whether it be um, the tweets that you send out, the, on, the Instagram good. posts that you make, um, the partnerships that you try to cultivate with other people, mm-hmm. that having that mission will, it'll basically decide all those things for you. Um, yes. it will give you a map for how to approach all of that. Um, and so I think, yes, creating your mission and staying connected to that, mm-hmm. because that is what will keep you building in the moments when you want to just like give up and throw in the towel. Yeah, that's good. Now, what are some of your favorite resources um, for self-development, for health and also for self-development? Um, so for, okay, so for self-development, I liked 
using 2190s, which is a brand underneath Blavity. Yes. They have online courses. Um, so some of them, they have like how to negotiate a salary. Mm, how that's to, good. And if you're building a platform, they have a Instagram or social media 101 course. Okay. And that really helps you figure out who your audience is, um, how to build a following. It's very beneficial okay. um, in terms of strategy. So I use go to 2190s online courses for some like self-development. Um, I also listen to, I read a lot too. So that's another thing. I, I read a lot and I listen to um, podcasts and TED Talks because I'm a bit of a geek and nerd, um, but it, help, it helps me stay um, stay well-rounded and understand what are the issues that are relevant to the work that I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and another one, another resource that I listen to, um, it's, it's called Side Hustle Pro, a podcast. And that's yes, an amazing podcast um, yeah. if you're an entrepreneur trying to build out a project or something. So. Mm-hmm. Now, what we've talked about your vision for Health and Her Hue. I want to know what your personal vision for 2019 is, if you don't mind sharing, of course. So I think my personal vision um, is to be like some more, be a more disciplined woman while staying connected to the things that matter, which for me are God, my family and my personal relationships. Okay. I'm really trying to work on this year is like staying committed to the things and the goals that I've set for myself, whether they be physical and health goals, um, whether they be relational, like I'm really trying to, because I'm so busy now working on this platform, it's easy to get caught up in being busy with meetings or working on the website and Mm -hmm. neglecting friendships or neglecting spending time with family. So, um, I had a friend who kind of like, you know, call me out on that and we had a great heart to heart. And I decided that this year I'm going to do better at, prioritizing my friendships and it can be hard when you have a core group of friends but then you have friends from like whether it be grad school and trying to balance mm-hmm. spending time with all these different people and, and, and on top of that my family um but so this year I'm really trying to focus on being disciplined and intentional about making sure that um I'm being present in everything that I do mm-hmm. because what good is success in a business or a project if you're still not, you know, taking time to appreciate the things in life that actually matter to your, um, to your being. Well, where can we find you online? I am on Twitter, um, as Ashley Wisdom. And so I spell my name Mm A-S-H-L-E-E. So I'm on Twitter there and on Instagram, I'm on Twitter at Ashley J Wisdom. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you can follow Health and Her Hue at Health and Her Hue on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Well, you're awesome, Ashley. Thank you so much for this conversation. I got my entire life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and I, I'm so excited to have you back. And more than that, I'm excited to see where this goes because I just I believe there's so much much in store for you and all these things that you're building. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you so much for interviewing me. I appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation just as much, or if not, 
more than I did. I know that I genuinely got my entire life and I hope that you did too. Um, if you did, I'd love to hear all about it. Um, you can let me know on Instagram, Adam M. Joy Emma, on Twitter, Adam M. Joy Emma, or you can send me an email at takeashotpodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. More than that, I hope that you have an incredible rest of your week and um, I can't wait to talk to you in the next episode. Bye guys. Puse los frenos para que no arranques Con las mismas mentiras que todos ya saben uh. En mi corazón tú no tienes las llaves uh -huh. Las perdiste ese día que tú me fallaste uh. But what you didn't know, what you didn't know Girl, stop What you didn't know, what you didn't know It's really tough about you What you didn't know, what you didn't know Girl, stop What you didn't know, what you didn't know What you didn't know, what you didn't know Girl, stop, and you've been, you've been caught Tell me what you know about that Yeah, you're hot, but you lost And I'm gone, and now you never get me back Te besas por loco No te voy a perdonar Vete, quédate, te atrapan Te juro que no pienso regresar que todos conocen Eres un idiota vestido de hombre uh. Borra mi número, también mi nombre oh, oh, oh. Ya no me interesa saber qué me escondes